welcome to 2020. Happy New Year from the buyer's mind. Welcome to the buyer's mind, where we take a closer look deep inside your customer's decision-making mechanism to reverse engineer the perfect sales presentation. Now, please welcome your host, Jeff Shaw. Welcome to the buyer's mind, the podcast that explores the psychology of a purchase decision. Normally, our host is Jeff Shore, but it is the new year, and so we're giving a little bit of time off. So we thought we'd do a little retrospective of the past year's podcasts and take a look at a few more of the people that we listened to in 2019. Aaron Gargan King, the author of Digital Persuasion, joined Jeff to talk about how social selling has changed the face of sales in general. Let's take a listen. You know, when we look at the profession called sales, do you see it as a difficult job, or is it just really not that tough as long as your head is on straight and you kind of know what you're doing? What do you think? Well, it depends what kind of sales you're talking about. B two B sales is a very interesting space right now with social selling, with LinkedIn, with the internet. I mean, if you think about it, you know, iPhones are turning 12 years old. Facebook mm-hmm. is turning 15 years old. So if you average the two, this way of existing in this social, mobile, digital world is only about 13.5 years old, which mm-hmm. is freshman in high school old. Yeah. So, <laughs> so if you think of being a freshman in high school, right, you're awkward. Uh, you're really faking it till you make it. You're looking to others to learn how to behave, which is not always the smartest move. And mm-hmm. so if you find yourself as, as a salesperson in this environment feeling awkward or feeling like you're not sure if what you're doing on digital, on email, on social is working, you're, that's, that's why. It's because we're only freshmen in high school old operating this way. And I think that there's been nothing that's impacted traditional sales as much as social media. Mm -hmm. Um, I work with a lot of organizations, Fortune 100s that are in everything from healthcare to real estate, finance, retail. And and what I'm seeing more and more is that marketing and sales are having to align themselves closer than ever because, you know, our roles are changing. Like what is the salesperson's role if the buyer's journey is 80% of the way complete before they ever reach out to a salesperson? Mm-hmm. You know, are you're just talking logistics, implementation and pricing? Is that it? Um, you know, what is marketing's job to support that journey when someone can just go direct to a salesperson's LinkedIn and see what they're sharing Is marketing, just a content machine. Now that's just sharing it with sales who has the audience. So it's really, you know, being redefined, I think, now more than ever. Author Mike Weinberg joined us to talk about his new book, Sales Truth. You know, one of the things that that drives me a little crazy is when I see things that are so overly scripted and at the same time unrealistic. Like, I wouldn't say that anyway, and I certainly wouldn't say it the way that you're telling me to say it, but you just wrote in this blog post that if you say this, it'll work every time, right? This stuff just drives me nuts. Give us an example of a myth, a falsehood, fake news, whatever you want to call it, that you'd love to dispel. Well, in the way you're phrasing it, it's because everyone's looking for the shortcut. So they keep trying things. Salespeople all have FOMO. You know, they're all fearful. They're going to miss out on the new new trick. And now I'm going to jump ahead and just talk about something real quick that is near the end of the book. It's my favorite chapter where I highlight these two top producers. One guy sells cars. And the other guy sells financial services for one of the biggest financial companies in America. And he sells it to the biggest companies in America. And, and I compare and contrast these two people, neither are my clients. So I take no credit. Like these people were great before they met, before I met them. And um, I, my hope is that, that people listening to this and people that read that chapter are strangely encouraged as I outline the best practices of these 
these two uber high producers because there's nothing mystical or magical. None of them take any shortcuts. They 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 should be encouraged that you can you can emulate what they do. They're not freaks mm-hmm. of nature. They don't have secret sales tools or secret formulas. They just work really hard and they mastered the basics. But I'll, I'll go back to one of the falsehoods. This is a very common one in our industry. For the last, I don't know, six, seven years, everybody loves to quote the stat from CEB from the challenger sale that says mm-hmm, mm-hmm. today's buyer goes on average 57% through their process before they're going to engage with a salesperson. Mm-hmm. And from the moment I heard that statistic, I thought, well, that's odd because most of what I do in my coaching and with my clients is get salespeople to go talk to people before they're shopping, right? To go initiate contact, not to be sitting on your butt waiting for a lead for someone to hit your website or download a white paper, right? Go call people that are prospects before they're looking and start a relationship and paint a picture of a better future. So that myth has been uh, abused beyond all measure by people in the inbound marketing and social selling world because they tell salespeople, don't you dare knock on a door or prospect or pick up the phone because that doesn't work because the buyer is going to get exactly 57% through their buying process before they're going to talk to you. And there were salespeople literally that would believe that. And then and it killed them. You know, they walk around with empty funnels and lack of opportunities because they think they're not permitted to, to prospect or get engaged with somebody. And that's a total myth. That's only true when a lazy reactive salesperson sits on their butt and waits for someone to drop a lead in their mouth. So there's an mm-hmm. example of just a, a very common and abused statistic that has done a lot of damage to the sales community, way different than what the authors of that study intended it when they wrote it years and years ago. Sales philosopher Todd Capone, an author of the book, The Transparency Sale, joined Jeff and talked about the importance of being transparent in our sales. We all know that salespeople have the reputation for not being the most trusted. Why is that? Well, let's find out from Todd. Todd Capone is the author of a very intriguing book called The Transparency Sale. It's going to challenge the way you think about sales. This conversation is going to be just a little bit different, and I love different. Joining us from the great state of Illinois, Todd Capone. Todd, how are you doing? I am awesome. Thanks for having me, Jeff. You bet. Let's have some fun. All right. Let's just sales philosopher. Let's start there. Sales philosopher. That is what you have glossed yourself as. Tell us more. Well, I mean, I think before we jump in, um, one of the things that I'm so excited about being on here for is uh, one of my good friends is Jay Bear, who I know has been on the show a number of times. And he always gives the advice that before you go on a podcast, you should listen to two of the episodes. Well, as it turns out, I've been a subscriber of this one for a while. And part of it when you ask about being a sales philosopher is you've got to do your research. Um, I am. Suddenly, a couple of years ago, and I'll, I'll tell you the story here in a minute, but I got really intrigued with this whole world of decision science and mm-hmm. the fact that neuroscientists have basically pinpointed how we make decisions as human beings. And so I dug in and I found just a treasure trove of information, which if you're selling something, it's probably a good idea to know how decision making happens. And mm-hmm. so I've been trying to figure out what it is so that I can not only use it, but teach it for good and not evil. Yeah, uh, I love it. It's, so is that sort of, uh, you know, because I've always thought that I'd like to carry that banner to some extent, that there is a, a dirtiness and ickiness that some people think about sales. And I'm 
almost feel like I'm on a charge to say, no, 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 no. If it's an us versus them and, and I'm only interested in my commission, then I understand where that mindset would come from. Uh, but I'm of the mindset that says, no, we need to elevate this profession to what it really should be and could be. I assume you are of like mind in that, uh, in that objective. Yeah. You know, so Gallup every year, and you've probably seen this, but I think they came mm -hmm. out with their last one, the end of December, where they rank all of the professions from most to least trusted. And mm -hmm. every year at the top is, you know, nurses and veterinarians. And at the bottom is, you know, two different flavors of sales. So car sales and then telemarketing. And then yeah. your last place is members of Congress. So I think we've got right. that going for us. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it basically, you know, this whole idea of the transparency sale is this realization that not only does it feel better to be authentic and honest and human in the way that you sell, which should eventually move salespeople up that ranking. But the data and the science that we've come across over the last few years tells us that it actually means faster sales cycles, increased win rates, better qualification. We make it really hard on our competitors when we lead with our flaws and we fully embrace the concept of transparency. And that's that data and the science that I came across really led to the book and what I've been spending so much time talking about. But yeah, I'm with you. It's It's got to change. And now because of this evolution happening in the world of buying, it it not only should change, but it has to. While having a good memory as a salesperson is important, remembering names and details and things of that nature, sometimes it's difficult and it's difficult for our customers as well. So that's why we were excited to have Nelson Dellis, who is a memory champion, joined us to talk about thinking in pictures. I want to start with just a, a sort of a, a premise here for something that you talk about uh, a lot in your book and on your videos. The concept that we think in pictures, that it's easier to remember a picture than it is to remember a fact, a number, a digit, uh, whatever it happens to be. What causes pictures to be far more memorable than facts? Yeah, you know, I think all, all the stuff that we're using in these competitions and memory techniques are based on how our brains were designed as a species, whatever, however you want to define it, um, you know, uh, natural selection, whatever it was to help us survive. And back in the day before our, our very, very far ancestors, before we even had formal languages and, you know, any kind of writing or anything like that, we're making decisions based on what we see. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. And these are life or death decisions. You know, it, it could be as simple as a bad example, but, you know, looking at a plant and recognizing that it is safe to eat versus poisonous. Right. Um, that is a picture that we're seeing and interpreting uh, for our survival. And that is, I think, at our very primal parts of our brain, um, what works the best. You know, fast forward thousands and thousands of years, now you have. Um, us coming up with languages, ideas, eventually philosophy, right? Really abstract notions and thoughts, mathematics, um, you know, all these things come along and that's relatively new for our brains. And that's why things like numbers, names, um, you know, very abstract kind of words are not so easy to, 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 to remember, but show somebody a series of pictures and even without thinking about it, our brains can naturally absorb that. There was a study done, I, I believe I could be incorrect, but at um, University of Florida, uh, where they showed subjects about 10,000 photos, kind of rapid succession. And then they were tested on pairs of photos. And they had to say which one 
um, they had seen and which one they hadn't. Um, and I believe going through those, the, the results that were correct were about 98%, right? Hmm. Think about that. 10,000 photos. You're not really mm-hmm. trying to memorize anything. You're just looking right. Yeah. And to be able to recall correctly, which one you'd seen before you recognize to 98%, that's incredible. And it says something. We all hope that our customers will give us a referral. Bill Cates joined us to talk about the importance of that and how it turns into referral marketing. Let me ask you this. How much of uh, referral marketing is just having the guts to ask? I mean, I'm talking about mindset versus skill set, right? Uh, part of it is just you got to be gutsy enough to ask. And I wonder if that's oftentimes the problem that a lot of salespeople run into. Well, it is. Um, so in the absence of confidence is fear. And mm-hmm. when you don't feel confident, you feel fear, doubt, uncertainty, certainly lack of action. But you mentioned mindset. And, you know, to me, mindset is more than just the guts. It's it's a perspective. And and a lot of people have very limiting perspectives uh, and mistaken perspectives around this referral stuff. So, for instance, some people say, well, if I just, you know, serve my clients or customers well enough, they'll give me referrals. And that's half true. Mm-hmm. You know, you do need to serve people well. And some people yeah, will give you. That's just, that's just the ticket to the dance, right? This doesn't win you the competition. It just exactly. allows you to walk exactly. through the door. Exactly. So you got to be proactive. You know, another one is, is some people think that asking for help is a sign of weakness. Mm. I see this all the time and you know, you'd think it's just guys, but it's not It's the women too. And mm-hmm. like my fiance won't ask for help and <laughs> well, we won't get into that. And, uh, <laughs> but, but you have to realize that this is all coming from a place of help me bring my value to other people. It, it really comes from believing in value. So folks that are newer in a, in an industry, where they don't necessarily yet believe in their value, uh, you know, that's, they're lacking confidence in that area too. Mm -hmm. And they don't even realize how that's stopping them. I'll tell you another mindset that, that creeps in because I know we have some sales leaders on this call, sales leaders. Um, So a lot of sales leaders weren't necessarily good at the referral introduction process themselves. Mm -hmm. And so, a little, this little covert contract gets created. It's like, how can I coach or hold someone accountable to something that I wasn't particularly comfortable with myself? And so this covert contract gets created. I, I won't push you on something that, you know, that I wasn't good at. So that, that leader has to say, all right, guys and gals, we, we all got to get better at this. I'm going to get better at this too. I'm going to get better at it for recruiting. I'm going to get better at the, you know, if, if I'm doing my own book of business, but we all have to get better at this together. And it's about the the whole firm creating a culture around this. It's important to be intentional about what we do, especially as sales leaders. Mark Sanborn joined us and talked about his new book, The Intention Imperative. You're trying to ask people to go to a, a level that oftentimes even their own organization doesn't want to go. You're talking to leaders right here and you're saying, hey, we got to get outside the mold. We got to be willing to embrace change. But oftentimes people find themselves at odds with their own organizations. And there's that fear of of making a mistake. You there's that, you know, I'm sure you remember back from your econ days, if, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the Ohio State University, if I think I've got this, uh, where when you initiated a change, what happens to performance? There's a dip before an improvement, right? There's that that uh, you, you gotta you're you're gonna have some trauma. And I think a lot of leaders look at it and go, well, uh, the dip it means lower numbers. I can't do that inside my own organization. So what do you do when you're when you feel like you're at odds? You know that there's an opportunity for change and you're worried about your own the, the reaction within your your own firm. 
Well, limited time, I would say risk is an inevitable cost. I point out in the book, there's a difference between clarity and certainty. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we, I just posted a, a graphic from Kevin Kelly, the technology writer, who said, we live in a world where the improbable is uh, increasingly becoming normal. You know, that mm-hmm. what we used to think was not just interesting or exciting or different, but actually improbable now, it, it doesn't surprise us anymore when it, when it happened. And I think what he's speaking to is, is that if you, uh, I mean, I'm not about no, nobody on this podcast that wants to take a foolhardy risk, but to do right. nothing differently is the greatest risk of all. And I know that sounds so motivational cliche, but it's so true to do nothing. You now are being, uh, you're in the stream of business and it's going to take you where it will and probably onto the rocks rather than out to the ocean. Right. So I think that you, you, there is always going to be some risk. And by the way, you, you raised a point that I want to touch on. And that is, I realized, first of all, just because you have the title of sales manager, and this isn't to be mean, but it doesn't make you a leader. Mm-hmm. It makes you a manager and it gives you a position. And the question of leadership, and I've used this, this is in another book, is anyone or anything better because of you? Mm-hmm. Leaders always create change and it's always positive change. You know, it's always improvement. And if you've got the same sales team producing the same amount as they were before you were sales manager, then you really are just the sales manager. You're managing mm-hmm. The, 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 the norm, a sales leader. And I know we get confused because we talk about sales leaders, the guy or gal that sells the most, but I, I think about sales leadership as I'm able to help. Let's just make the math easy. If you got 10 people selling for you, you know, whatever space, wholesale, retail, B2C, if you got 10 people selling for you. If in the next year through your efforts, you can help them become 10% better, more productive, you've just added an entire salesperson to your team and your payroll hadn't changed. Well, thanks again for joining us on The Buyer's Mind and being a faithful listener. We really appreciate it. If you wouldn't mind going over to iTunes and leaving us a review, that would really help us out. We look forward to 2020 and bringing more podcasts that help you understand your customer and how they think. Because when you understand your customer, you can reverse engineer your sales presentation and meet their needs. And as Jeff always says, go out there and change someone's world.